Good evening, Bay Area. I hope that you're doing well tonight. Um, yeah. Glad that you are here. One of you is here at least. It's 6.58. Martha and and BJ. You get the gold stars for being here early. <laughs> All of you people who get on right away, you're going to notice that when I hit the go live button, I try to have a smile on my face. Because what I found, and no one else would recognize this or appreciate this, but uh, what I found is when when you go back and like access one of these videos, it's always the first image of the speaker. And every time it's an image of me going. So I'm trying to smile when I first start this thing so that um, I don't embarrass myself as if I'm worried about that, right? Um, hey, yeah, a bunch of people jumping on. Um, I'm gonna give you early birds. John and Gloria Coward are watching. John and Gloria Coward, how are y'all doing? Man. Good to hear a voice from the, or, or uh, uh, a family from the past. Hope you're doing well. Um, I'm going to give you early birds uh, the, the heads up on my icebreaker tonight. And that is, I want you to think about places you have traveled. And specifically, what is like one of your favorite places to go, like best trip ever. And what is one of your worst trips ever? And I want you to put it in the comments, like best place, best trip. And it might, maybe it's something that um, it was good because of the person you were with, the people you were with, or maybe it was great because of something special that happened. And maybe it was something terrible, someplace terrible because of something that happened that in and of itself, the place isn't so bad. But um, so be thinking about that. Best trip you've ever had, best place you've ever been. And the converse of that, the worst trip you've ever had, the worst place you've ever been. I'm going to repeat that in uh, a couple minutes here because I want, uh, I want to get some feedback on the best and the worst places you have been. And again, sign on, say, hey, we're here so that we can encourage each other and be sure and um, got comments on what we're going to talk about tonight, post them in the comments section. So many times, in fact, all the time, you all think of things about a passage that uh, I just completely miss or overlook, and I'm not good enough to uh, multitask and read them. In fact, I got them turned off right now, but I always go back and think, wow, why didn't I think of that? Carol Bianca says Grand Canyon's the best, Georgia's the worst. <laughs> yeah, this might, this might get a little... Uh, uh, offensive to people. Carol says the Grand Canyon's the best. Never went. By the way, I looked up um, top 10 places in America to go. Grand Canyon, number one. Um, Georgia wasn't on the list. <laughs> Georgia's the worst. I live in Georgia. Martha and I are actually going to Georgia uh, in September. Yeah, for a couple of days. So, yeah. Um, we'll have to hear why later. Yeah, Carol, you're going to have to tell us what part of Georgia to stay away from. Uh, yeah. I was thinking. Carol and Faye said best trip Hawaii, worst trip Helen, Georgia. <laughs> it's two votes for Georgia, all right, already. Helena, Helen, are we going close to there? 
Hawaii. I, I've never been to Hawaii. I would like to go to Hawaii, but we got to change our plans. Said best trip, road trip out west was uh, 2001 with family and Teresa's mom. No road negative. Trip. Good for Dave. Oh, very good. Uh, out west for Dave. Um, <laughs> and he has a, he's fine with Georgia, apparently. So, yeah. I was trying to think of places that I've been that, like, I, I just loved. Um, there's lots of them, and it usually goes back to who I'm with. Charlene uh, and Jim say Keystone, Colorado. They went uh, uh, tubing. Charlene and Jim tubing in Colorado. Mark said Las Vegas. Worst trip when we took the ferry to Victoria, Canada, and got caught in a storm, and everyone on the ferry grew uh, up. Okay. Mark <laughs> says the, the best is Las Vegas, and the worst is Canada. I'd like to have those reversed. But yeah, if everybody's throwing up, that would that put a damper on the trip Jackie for sure. Jackie Hawaii, see the wells, Gulfport, Mississippi, the worst. Really? Zell and Gary, best trip Scotland, of course. <laughs> Scotland, yeah, you all you world travelers. Return from Colorado in the middle of a screaming blizzard. Okay. So we've got a Colorado is the best and a Colorado is the worst. Yeah, Angie says best trip to Thomasville and Plains, Georgia. Uh -huh. Thank you, Angie. Angie says Thomasville, Georgia is where I've actually been to Thomasville, Georgia a lot of it's times. It's very nice. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah, the it's God beautiful. Let's say Garden of the Gods is the best. Okay. Godwins like to go to the Garden of the Gods. Uh, Daryl Alderman, Hawaii. Pearl Harbor was awesome. Ooh, yeah. Valdosta, Georgia, the worst. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're from Valdosta, Georgia, Daryl. You can't say home is the worst. Or maybe you can. I, uh, I've been in Valdosta, Georgia several trip, times. Tell everybody that I don't get everybody. Okay. Here. Martha wants you to know she doesn't get everybody's comments. And she doesn't feel like it's such a delay. And it's a tremendous delay. So she's reading me things that you guys posted like two minutes ago. Because I'm uh, about five minutes behind you. Yeah, Martha's way behind what I'm talking here li live. Dave, on but, worst uh, trip. No, Dave, you can't be negative now. Oh, now, now Dave's thought of a worse trip. Uh, cruise from New York City to Quebec in the middle of a hurricane. <laughs> a cruise in the middle of a hurricane. Martha and I went on a cruise. All you people that love cruises, I'm not a big fan. I've gone on one, and uh, that, Angela I might say that's the worst trip I've ever been on. Angela Steve, Venice, Italy, best, Valdosta, Georgia, worst. <laughs> that is now, wait, Angela, you're from Valdosta, Georgia, too. That is like six votes for Valdo for Georgia, Bill. The armpit of the nation. Glacier International Peace Park. Pam McCampbell, what do you think about Georgia? Come on. Albert, she doesn't list Georgia as the best. Okay. What, what did Pam Lafayette, say was the best? Louisiana, the worst. Louisiana. Yeah. What did Pam McCampbell say is the best? That's what I said. Glacier International Glacier, Peace oh, Park, yeah. Alberta, Canada. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm with you on that one. Uh, best trip, Oregon, was from your son, Will. Worst, okay. none. Yeah, that I think boy Will's worst, Will. the destination trip was Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking about my... Best trip, Kathy Reed, Malaysia. Worst trip, oh. Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Worst trip, Walmart. <laughs> I'm with you. I stay away from Walmart as much as I can. But you can't. It draws you in. The time to draw you in. I saw on World Destinations, um, Thailand was like number six 
of destination spots. I'm like, who goes to Thailand? Apparently yeah, millions of people. Uh, yeah. Um, did uh, you have a... Oh, wait, Pam said not a fan, but a Justine. <laughs> okay. A ringing endorsement oh, from Pam McCampbell. Not a fan but adjusting you've lived there for like Jim what 10 Bill years now ireland ireland another that's from linda okay linda's been to okay, ireland we'll stop yeah. there all you fortunate people who have been overseas um except for our neighbors to the north and south i have never left the country crater lake oregon crater lake oregon from glenn hey glenn reese good to see you again um where yeah. is this moscow tennessee <laughs> moscow tennessee i didn't even know there was a moscow tennessee yeah. yeah. Okay, I throw that out because we're actually going to talk about destinations a little bit tonight. Um, if you're just jumping on, what we've been, my, my icebreaker was the best places you've ever traveled to and, still and the worst places you've ever traveled to. If you've got any comments, you can still add those as we're going along. We'll um, later. I will certainly get caught up later. I'm really hoping there's somebody out there that's a fan of North Georgia. Because I am. Martha, Martha and I are headed to North Georgia in, in a couple of weeks. And like, I might just put this trip was Indiana, Pennsylvania. Indiana, Pennsylvania, my hometown. You know, and if I had to say best trip, I'd say going back home. Um, that's, I think still we were there last summer and boy, it was just like last fall. Last fall. Um, we were there a while ago. To Gettysburg, and yeah, uh, I, I love Western Pennsylvania. Um, I would have said probably 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I would have said worst trip was Central Florida. Um, there was a time when I couldn't imagine myself living in Central Florida, and so I think that just goes to show that you know, circumstances change, and what happens at one time in one place doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen every time in that place. But let's get moving here. Um, uh, I, I told you in my announcement that we're going to be focused in Mark chapter 5. You can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Mark 5. You can leave it there. We're not going to jump around at all. Uh, I'm going to look at three things out of Mark chapter 5. I want to look at the places Jesus goes, hence the icebreaker. I want to look at the people Jesus sees, talks to, interacts. And I want to look at the gifts that Jesus gives, places he goes the people he interacts with, the gifts that he gives. Um, and I want to do it through the lens of Mark chapter 5. Because in Mark chapter 5, Jesus is going to meet a demon-possessed man, a diseased woman, and a dead girl. And I want to talk about what those three people have in common. Demon-possessed man, diseased woman, dead girl. What do they have in common besides the fact that it all begins with D. Their conditions all begin with D, which for preachers is very exciting. If I can come up with three points that all begin with the same letter, that's like half my work is done. You know, if I could come up with a poem right now, we could all just go watch the rays. But um, I want to look at those three interactions. A um, couple things about the book of Mark that you already know, but just let me remind you. Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. Mark does not waste any words. I mean, he just, he hits the ground running. He doesn't say anything about Jesus's birth or Jesus's childhood. He doesn't say anything really before uh, John the Baptist, but uh, it's just bam, bam, bam. He's really precise with his wording. He's really concise with his wording. So you've got to pay close attention when you read the book of Mark. 
because there are details buried in there that Mark's like, hey, Mark, a little more information would be nice, but he doesn't give it to us. So we got to pay attention. So um, the beginning of Mark chapter five, Mark is going to tell us uh, exactly where Jesus goes. Um, Mark chapter five, verse one. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, okay, which is Sea of Galilee. Jesus goes with his uh, disciples to the other side, the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, when we hear that, when, when I read that, I just blow right past it. Okay, he went to the other side of the lake. Had I been a reader in the first century, I would not have blown right past that detail. Again, pay attention to the details. The other side of the lake, the where Jesus has just gone, um, it was a place that no self-respecting Jew would go to. It was a place, in fact, um, the historian Joseph, Josephus described the area as the epicenter of pagan and Hellenistic activity. No Jew would go there. There, there was no Jewish settlements there. Uh, it was a pagan area. It was a place, the whole area was considered unclean to a Jew. Okay, verse two, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit. Now, if you're reading from the old King James version, you just read a man with an unclean spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. So from verse one, we find out that Jesus goes to an unclean area. From verse two, we find out that Jesus meets an unclean man who is possessed by an unclean spirit. Verse three tells us that Jesus is living, or Jesus, this unclean man with the unclean spirit is living in the tombs. He's living in the graveyard. Question, would a graveyard, would the tombs be considered clean or unclean? That would be considered a very unclean place, right? Starting to, starting to see a little pattern going on here. Verse 11, which we're not going to read, but we find out that Jesus uh, cast the demons that were in this man into a swine of pigs. In the Old Testament, to the Jews, pigs. Mark's the one that tells us there's 2,000 of them. Um, were pigs a clean animal or an unclean animal? Yeah, they were an unclean animal, right? So Jesus goes to an unclean territory. He meets an unclean man possessed by an unclean spirit, living in an unclean place, surrounded by people who are in an unclean uh, profession. Now, Mark goes on to tell us that Jesus cast the demons out of this man, sends him into the pigs, the pigs you know, rush into the water and die. But don't miss the, the thing about where Jesus goes. Jesus is not afraid to go to unclean places. He's not afraid to go where other people hesitate to go. He still isn't, by the way. He's still not afraid to go to unclean places. And notice this, and you're going to see it as we, as, as, uh, we kind of get into this. When Jesus is there surrounded in an unclean place with an unclean spirit and, you know, unclean people, he doesn't flinch. He doesn't back off. He's not offended. He's not shocked. The things that shock us do not shock Jesus. Jesus was, was happy and, and fine going uh, to, to unclean places. Um, and maybe I'm making a preacher point here or not, but I'm going to go ahead and make it. 
Jesus is still willing to meet us in all of our unclean places. You know, all, all the messes that we make. You think, well, man, my life is such a train wreck. Hey, Jesus is just fine meeting you there. And he will lead you and he will love you out of that mess, out of that unclean uh, situation that you find yourself in. You know, he is the, the ultimate cleanser of the messes that we make. Um, there's no place that, uh, that his love won't go. So let's, let's meet another person that he meets in chapter 5. Skip down to verse 21. When Jesus again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, he's back now. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So Jesus is back and there's a huge crowd that gathers around Jesus. And this is fairly early on in his ministry. So we know why the crowd is there because, because he's an amazing guy. He's a miracle worker. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. Verse 24 says, so Jesus went with him. Again, get the picture. Jesus is surrounded by a lot of people. I am sure that a lot of those people were very needy. I'm sure a lot of those people were vying for Jesus's attention. This guy named Jairus actually gets Jesus' attention. And again, Mark doesn't give us any details. I wish I had a few more details here, Mark. But somehow, Jesus is um, confronted by this man. Um, he falls on his knees, the man does, Jairus does, and he begs Jesus, my little girl is sick, please come. Now, this guy is not unclean, Jairus. In fact, he's kind of the opposite of the guy living in the tombs. He's the ruler of the synagogue. He's an important guy. And he is doing everything he can to get Jesus's attention. Because I would have to imagine that everybody there was trying to vie for Jesus's attention. But here's this guy that does everything he can to get his attention. Why? Because my little girl's dying. My little girl's clinging to life. Would you please come? And Jesus agrees to go. And as a dad, I can almost feel this guy's desperation through the pages. Uh, you, you can just almost feel how, um, how intense he is. You know, I'm, you know, everybody here needs you, but I need you, and I need you now. Would you please come? And I want you to think about this man Jairus' uh, emotional state over, the, over these verses. His little girl's dying, 12 years old. Jesus is in town. I got to get to Jesus. If I just get to Jesus, oh man, there's this huge crowd. Now what am I going to do? I'm going to fight my way to Jesus. I'm going to get there. I'm going to fall on my knees. I'm going to beg him to come. He does all that. Amazingly, Jesus says, let's go. And now you, you think, you know, okay, now Jairus is like, this thing's going to work. Jesus, the miracle worker, is going to come to my house. However, on the way, Jesus is going to meet someone else. He's interrupted this time by a woman. Now, Jairus has done everything he could do to get Jesus' attention. He has done everything he could do to get Jesus to notice him. The woman that Jesus is about to interact with has done everything she can do to make sure that Jesus 
doesn't notice her. She's done everything she knows to do to make sure Jesus doesn't uh, see her, that she doesn't draw attention to herself. Uh, verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. You notice how Mark describes this woman? Subject to bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. That little girl, she's only 12 years old. And that, that's an entire lifetime. This woman has been, has been in this condition for 12 years years. That's a long time. Now, 2008 seems like a long time ago. 2019 seems like a long time ago. But 2008, that's a long time ago. You think, well, uh, 2032, that's a long way away. Here's this woman who has suffered for 12 years. Mark says she suffered a great deal, deal under the care of many doctors. She's gone to all the people that she, she thinks can help her. And then he says, she spent all she had, yet grew worse. So picture this woman. You kind of start feeling this woman. Here's a woman who is um, slowly bleeding out, not just her health. And she's slowly bleeding out, not just her resources, her money, slowly bleeding out, not just her life, she has been slowly bleeding out every ounce of hope that she could have possibly held on to. I mean, 12 years, nothing's gotten better. It's only gotten worse. Um, 12 years of being tormented, 12 years of being an outcast, 12 years of, you know, think about this woman. She can't be a wife or a mother, not the way she wants to be. She couldn't go to the temple to worship. She shouldn't have been in that crowd, by the way. She was unclean. She certainly shouldn't have been reaching out and touching Jesus. Um, for 12 years, she wouldn't have been sick, rejected, tormented, with absolutely no human solution. I mean, nobody has an answer for her. Now, remember where Jesus is going. He's on his way to deal with, to heal, hopefully, that's Jairus' desire, to heal a 12-year-old girl who is clinging to life. He's interrupted by this unclean woman. And while he stops, just an interruption, you know, I'm sure other people were there pulling and, and yanking. In fact, the, the, uh, the disciples say, what do you mean who touched you? you know, the, the, we know that passage. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. you know, you're getting jostled all around. No, someone touched me. I felt some goodness go out of me. You know, he sees this woman and he kind of calls her out. And if you're Jairus, could you imagine like, no, we can't stop. <laughs> Jesus, well, we can't stop. We got to keep going. My little girl's sick. But of course, Jesus does stop. And while he's interacting with the woman, this ruler of the synagogue gets some news that is just crushing. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, speaking to this woman, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. 
Why bother the teacher? Think about his emotions. Think about this roller coaster that Jairus has been on. Uh, my life is, is almost over. My girl's about to die. You know, how can things get worse? Wait, Jesus is in town. Let me get to Jesus. Wow, look at the crowd. I'll never get there. I'm getting there. I've got there. I've got his attention. Would you come? Yes, I'll come. Wait, there's a woman he's talking. No, don't talk to the woman. We've got to go. Come on. Oh, wait. It's too late. I'm sorry, Jairus. It's too late. The little girl's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Could you imagine getting that news? To have, have your heart sink like that. You know, 2,000 years later, we, we still don't have a cure for dead, do we? Um, Mark chapter 5, Jesus encounters three different people. This demon-possessed man living in the tombs, this woman, or this, this guy who has, um, has was losing and then ultimately loses his daughter, and a woman who has been dealing with this suffering for 12 years. These are three different people who are at the end of their rope. In fact, they're not even at the end of the rope. They've, they've let go of the rope. There's no rope left. Um, these are three people who, for three very different reasons, different circumstances, are completely hopeless. They have no hope left. And they're helpless as well. well no one can help them. Um, nobody has an answer. And the reason nobody has an answer is because, really, when you think about it, there was no answer. Not, not on human terms. There was no answer to any three of these situations. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that or not. I don't know if you've ever felt like, wow, I am, uh, I'm confronted with, with nothing but bad options. For whatever reason, maybe it's because my own doing, someone else is doing, for whatever reasons, I'm in a situation, and it's just gotten worse and now I don't know how I can get any worse and I really don't know how I can get any better. You ever been in a situation where you thought I don't have any options? This is this is rock bottom. It's exactly where these three individuals were until Jesus shows up. And it I I think I think it's precisely because of their desperate situation and because of their hopelessness that they were able to experience the power and the presence of Jesus. So, a couple observations about these individuals. You know, I already mentioned that Jesus is drawn to unclean places. Um, Jesus is also drawn to desperate people. Just read the Gospels. Jesus seems to be drawn to people who are marginalized and people who are pushed aside. I mean, all through Scripture, all through the Gospels, when you have a group of people who are like the, the inside and the outside, or you have a group of people who are, you know, have it all together and they've got the power and the money and the resources, then you have people that don't have anything. It seems that Jesus always sort of leans toward the fringes. He's always drawn to those people that everybody else holds at arm's length. That's where Jesus seems to always uh, uh, have his, his uh, attention to. People that really have very little hope. Um, he seems to notice and respond the most to the people who are the most messed up and people who have messed up the most. So in Mark chapter 5, we meet three very different people, uh, very different needs, different circumstances, 
but we meet three people who really the only hope that they have is Jesus. No other hope. No, there, there's no human institution that's going to change their situation. There's nothing they can do by themselves. Their only hope was Jesus. Now, two of these people seem to understand that, at least in different times in the interaction. This woman thought, if I can just touch his, him of his garment. And Jairus thought, if I can just get to Jesus. Um, but here's three people that have no hope outside other than Jesus. Uh, you think about the problems in your life. You know, I just asked you, ever felt like you just I don't have any options? Well, the option is Jesus. And I know, you know, I'm sitting here by myself in my living room and, and you're sitting on your couch, but I know that sounds like something a preacher would say, but I'm telling you, I believe it with all my heart that when we don't have anywhere else to turn, turn to Jesus. Uh, all, all the problems that I'm dealing with and all the issues that I have and, and all the times I say, this is, this is it, this is my life. Um, Jesus is still the hope. Um, question. You know, I, I told you that we were going to talk about the places Jesus went, the people Jesus healed, and the gifts that he gave. Well, we talked about the places he went and talked a little bit about the, the people he met. Uh, let me talk just a minute about the gifts that he gives. So here's a question. I thought about making this my um, icebreaker, but, but here's a question for you to think about. Have you ever received a gift that you really didn't want? And sometimes those are kind of sad things. Sometimes they're funny. You know, my, uh, my family, um, we all have these stories about Christmas gifts and birthday gifts that were given or received. And it's like, wow, thank you. You know, what am I going to do with that? Um, but have you ever received a gift that you really didn't want? I guess we all have. Yeah, Martha reminded us, reminded me of one that she got that uh, our kids laugh at still. The, the perfect gift for mom. What the perfect gift for mom? Uh, and I ask that because I want to make this statement. I think Jesus is the ultimate giver of gifts that people don't want. And I don't, don't comment just yet. Hear me out. <laughs> I think Jesus is an expert at giving gifts that people don't want. Because when I think of a gift that I want, when I think of a gift that I want Jesus to give me, usually, uh, you know, I've asked the question wrong. A gift that we don't need. So now that, that it wouldn't have made any sense where I was going, was it? Did it? Um, let me rewind. Rewind. Have you ever been given a gift you don't need? Uh, Jesus has always given gifts that uh, that people now I'm really confused. We want things, but Jesus gives us what we need. There, just fast forward to that line. There are things that I think I want, but Jesus doesn't always give me that gift. There are things that I need. That's the gifts that Jesus gives. Yeah, it's all making sense now. <laughs> oh, Here's the thing. You know what I'm trying to say, but here's the thing. Jesus is going to give this dad, he's going to give Jairus far more than, than Jairus was asking for. I mean, think about it. Jairus is asking for a healing. Jesus is going to give him a resurrection. Uh, okay, again, kind of a preacher point. Now, so what? What's it mean to me? What's it mean to us? Here's what I think it means to me. And maybe it means the same thing to you. We are living in really weird times right now. 
Now, there's just a, a lot of uncertainty. There is a lot of divisiveness. There is a lot of fear. Um, on top of that, on top of the weird times that we're living in, life goes on, right? And I don't have to tell you that life is hard and life can be difficult. And, you know, we struggle with stuff. And I know that I am talking to people that some of you, I know some of the things you're struggling with. I know you're in a deep valley right now. And I know you've got real serious issues. And others, you're dealing with it. I just don't know about it. Maybe nobody knows about it. But all of us from time to time go through things in our lives that are just really difficult. You know, you think back to Jesus um, dealing with uh, the woman with the, been in, with the issue of blood. I know we got a couple of health professionals listening, so maybe this is for Keith and Kelly or Zoe, and here's a question for you. Um, but if you were to do a triage experiment in Mark chapter five, and you've got a woman with a chronic issue that's been going on for 12 years, and then you've got a little girl with an acute issue that's clinging to life, who do you pay attention to first? You know, any health professional will tell you, well, you, you, you take care of the acute condition first. You take care of the girl that's clinging to life because really this other woman, 12 years, what's a couple more hours, right? Now, if Jesus had done what he did today, he'd probably be sued for malpractice, right? So maybe you're thinking, where's Jesus when I need him the most? You know, Jesus seems to be dealing with all these other things. I see other people whose prayers are getting answered. I see other people whose problems kind of get worked out. Maybe you feel like you're a victim of spiritual malpractice. Um, why doesn't God do what I want God to do when I want God to do it? Now, don't you know Jairus was going, man, why did we stop? We could have come back to this lady. Why did you stop? Why did you delay? Why does God delay when sometimes I'm begging him on my knees to do something? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. But I can tell you that I'm convinced, here's what, what I believe, is what we sometimes see as God's delays actually represents God's perfect timing. Um, I might not agree with it. I might not be able to understand it. Certainly can't explain it. But I can tell you that I am convinced God is going to treat me with perfect knowledge and perfect love. I am just convinced God knows what he's doing. And he knows what I need. I know what I want. He knows what I need. He knows when I need it. And he's going he's gonna to deal with me in perfect knowledge and perfect love. Um, and I can promise you that he is able and quite possibly will do immeasurably more than what I'm expecting him to do, what I'm asking him to do. Immeasurably more than all I ask or imagine. Again, Jairus is asking for a healing. Jesus gives him a, a resurrection. Um, Mark chapter 5. Three very different people. There's a demon-possessed man. Scary guy. Scary guy. Dangerous guy. 
lived in the tombs. Think about that. Think about the stories people would tell about this guy. You know, he just lives up there in the graveyard. Uh, don't go near him. You know, kids would tell stories about this guy, I'm sure. I heard that he doesn't wear any clothes. I heard that he cuts himself with rocks. I heard that uh, you know, they can't even chain him. He breaks the chains, which all those things were true. You know, here's this demon-possessed man. And then here's this woman. Been dealing with this issue for 12 years. Just a really sad, pitiful woman who is so, so shy, so unsure of herself that I'm just going to sneak up there. If I can just sneak up and touch the hem of his garment. And then there's this 12-year-old girl, sweet little girl, whole life ahead of her. Three people. Two were unclean. One was dead. And it appears, when you read their stories in Mark chapter 5, it appears that each one of their stories, that's probably how it's going to end. To all those people that were there, that's how their story was going to end. This guy was going to die in the tomb someday. Nothing could be done. This lady is going to just run out of money, and she's going to run out of health. Nothing could be done. This little girl, why bother the teacher? She's dead. It appears that that's where their story ends. It appears that their story is going to end in desperation, in hopelessness. Little did they know that the rest of their story had not yet been written. Seemed like it had. Seemed like the story was over. But little did they know that the best part of their story hadn't been written yet. Little did they know that the story, the part of their story that they would talk about for the rest of their lives... The part of their story that would define who they were and what their life was had yet to happen. Little did they know that everything was going to change when they met Jesus. That the story wasn't over and that God was going to intervene. Three people who learned that despite pain and loss and suffering, or maybe because of pain and loss and suffering, that they learned Jesus is willing to go to unclean places. And he's willing to interact with uh, unclean people. And he's willing to step in and uh, meet and help and love desperate people. And he's able to restore broken bodies and broken minds and broken spirits. Listen, we, we, we're all dealing with stuff. Um, you might look like you got it all together. I know better. I, I, I might look like I got it all together. I hope you know better. We are all dealing with the garbage that life throws at us. We all want to know the deliverance that Jesus brings. Just like that demon-possessed man. We all want the healing that Jesus can offer. Just like that woman with the issue of blood. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Just like that little girl. Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ. One of my favorite verses. How's it go, Daryl Barry? <laughs> I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Yeah. Here are uh, three stories of people who interact with Jesus. And really, they're all three interruptions in the life of Jesus. And Jesus gives each of these person, people exactly what they needed. And really, a lot more than they wanted. So, that's our look over the shoulder of uh, Jesus' uh, interactions tonight. Um, uh, let me go ahead and end with a prayer and then I'll come back and make some 
updates and some announcements. Let's pray. Father, um, it is really easy for us to act like our lives are going so smoothly and it's easy for us to to portray an image that just we've got it all under control, but uh, you know we don't. And you know how difficult life is and you know how how frail and how sinful we are and, and, and you know the real us. And, and Father, would you help us to, to desperately fight our way to Jesus and to reach out to Jesus. And we're thankful that uh, he's offered and he promises uh, to heal and to help and to redeem. So thank you for your word that tells us so many encouraging stories about your love and your power. And may we remember to tap into that. May we desperately want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Uh, it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Hey, let me give you a, a couple of um, really important uh, prayer requests and some people we need to be keeping in prayer. We sure want to be remembering in prayer the Larson family, Aloha's uh, brother and sister-in-law lost their 27-year-old son this week, very unexpectedly. So we want to be praying for that family as they deal with that tremendous loss and that grief. Um, prayerful for David Harkins, who uh, still needs our prayers health-wise. Uh, Debbie Chiros, uh, Debbie had a really bad fall and um, really has gone through a lot of uh, pain. And um, uh, and Debbie, if you're if you're watching tonight, uh, we love you and um, really praying for complete healing. Uh, Zoe's brother Tom in Portland's got some health issues that she's asked to pray about. Uh, Rodlin's parents, both her mom and her dad, are really in need of our prayers. Lenora's son in Pennsylvania is still um, got some severe health issues that he's dealing with. So uh, just a lot of things going on. And the best thing we can do is to be praying for, for those brothers and sisters. Uh, let me share just a little bit of an update and some announcements with you. Hey, congratulations to the Paynes, Richard and Leanne. Woohoo! Baby boy born. Uh, happy for that family. Here's mom and baby and dad and uh, big brother are all doing well. So congratulations. Uh, Caleb and Priscilla, as far as I know, are still waiting to have that baby boy. And we want to keep that family in our prayers too and their, their excitement. And we want to be praying for uh, a, a safe uh, delivery there. Um, thanks to all of you who made the school supply such a big success. Uh, Robbie and Angie really made that happen, kind of um, uh, organized it and did all the heavy lifting there. Uh, but just a, a really, in fact, I, the people that showed up, I can't believe that much stuff. Uh, uh, brought uh, that that much stuff and all these the people that dropped by the the church building and donated money um, uh, i know that shaw and mango elementary schools would be blessed by that it was great to be with uh, a lot of you last saturday for the school drive drop off and we did our best to stay socially distanced but to see some faces was really encouraging um, you Parents of youth group kids, be sure and keep up with what Robbie's got planned and going on. He's staying busy in a distant way. 
uh, is best that uh, he is able to. Tomorrow night, the Faith Lane kids, a wacky pajama party. Sounds like fun. Angie's got uh, some uh, fun night prepared uh, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, if I'm not mistaken. If I am, Angie will let me know. But 7 o'clock, the Zoom ID is all the same. So get your crazy pajamas on and uh, be on Zoom tomorrow. Um, maybe we should do that uh, for the adults, a wacky pajama party on Zoom. Yeah, we'll let you be the first one. <laughs> Maybe we won't do that for the adults. Yeah, I'd yeah. like to see that just for you. Yeah. I don't have wacky pajamas. I've got pajamas from 40 years ago. Um, yeah, it's, obviously, it's time for me to go. So we'll see you all virtually on Sunday. We want to keep the, the country and our church family and our leadership in, in your prayers. Thanks for being with us tonight. I'm going to go back and look at all the best places in the world to travel to and all the worst places in the world to travel to. And I want to check out your comments on tonight, well, we'll too. I'm going, to, yeah, I'm going to report back to you on Georgia, on North Georgia. And uh, I'll let you know. Uh, thanks for being with me tonight. See you Sunday.